Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? You enjoying the, the nicer weather? I mean, it, kind of, it kind of went really hot to really cold, but uh, that's all right. I'd, I'd rather be cold than hot any day. Well, I'm excited to be back here. Uh, Lauren and I were on vacation, and so we uh, were gone one week, and then we were here last week and had the missionaries, Bill and, and uh, Joyce Facey, with us, and they did an incredible job. Uh, I think we were just blessed as a church to hear from him and what God has done in his life and what God is doing uh, in Guatemala. And uh, it's not every day that you get to meet somebody that God used to translate the entire Bible, and much less someone who developed a written language out of a language that was only uh, verbal uh, for however many years. So just a a fascinating uh, person, and I really believe uh, a divine connection that God brought into my life and now that God has brought into this church. And I understand that while we were gone that Pastor Brian preached a great message, and uh, so I want to give him... Give him props for that. And uh, just also to say that, you know what, God has really blessed our church to put people uh, in here that uh, care about it, the leadership, the people like you to support it. And we've come through an amazing transition. And uh, on vacation, it just gave me an opportunity to really sit down for the first time since I came on staff uh, over a year ago and really reflect on everything that God has done and on the journey that we've taken as a church. And I just think that uh, we need to give ourselves uh, a round of applause for what we've done in partnership with God. It is something to be celebrated. I want to take the opportunity um, to do that. You know, unity in today's society and in culture is really a commodity. And uh, God has blessed us to be a church that's unified. And uh, this week, uh, we're beginning a brand new sermon series, which will continue for the next five weeks. And we're going to be talking about uh, the vision of our church. And you may say, why spend five weeks talking about vision? Well, because vision, in my opinion, is incredibly important. In fact, the Bible goes so far as to say, without vision, the people will perish. And we need to be in unity. And yes, I believe as a church, we're unified in what we believe But it's also, there's a next step in unity, and it's unity in the direction that you're heading with what you believe. A lot of people, a lot of Christians around the world, we believe in Jesus. But then we have a thousand different ideas of how we're supposed to go about with believing in Jesus. And the vision for our church, it's not anything new. We're not attempting to steer the church in a whole different direction. It's been the vision for 50 years. We're just taking an opportunity to communicate it and make it so second nature for all of us that when someone asks, what is Faith Community Church about? We're going to know. We're going to know what we do, why we exist. And that's important. All of us every day go to shops all over the city, and we walk into that store because we know what that store is about, what it's selling, and why it exists. And I think as the church, it's easy to say, well, what are you about? We're about Jesus. That is correct, 100%. But we need to be able to take it a little bit deeper in what we do because our message, we can no longer take for granted that everybody just knows it, right? Our message is the most powerful message on the face of the earth, the gospel. It is the most relatable. It transcends culture. It transcends language. It transcends socioeconomic status, and it transcends time. And the onus is on us in today's world to be excellent at communicating it and excellent at allowing God to live it out through us. And so for the next five weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. The title of the series is Four Cups, and we're going to talk about what that means and uh, why call it Four Cups. But I just want to take an opportunity that if you're a guest with us today, I want to say that we're so happy that you're with us. And uh, we just our hope for you is that you enjoy your experience that you feel welcome in this place, but more importantly, that you just get a sense of the love of God here and that you will walk out of this place different than when you came in. And uh, yeah, we can clap for that. (laughs) Yeah, 
Not, not much in life anymore seemingly to celebrate, so let's take every opportunity to celebrate what we can. Well, this morning, I want us to go to Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. And uh, this is where we're going to be for the next five weeks, in two verses. And you say, wow, that's a long time to cover two verses. Well, there's so much in here that we have to talk about. And, uh, and it's also this, that the, the vision for our church is not a concept that the pastoral staff came up with. It's not a really awesome idea that we sat around a table and said, hey, you know, what can we say that when people hear it, it's really going to just change their life. No, it comes directly from God's Word. If you'll remember, after our transition, we did a series called Now What? And one of the things that we said is, as we go forward, we are going to do God's Word. We're going to speak God's Word. And so in the process of, of, of communicating this vision, I just want you to understand that this comes directly from Scripture. And so as you turn there in your Bibles or your tablet, your phone, or whatever you use to access God's words, cool with us. We also have it on the screens if you don't have any of those things. I want to give you some history and context as to what's going on here, because it's going to be really important for us to understand this. So in, in the book of Exodus, it's the second book uh, in the Bible. And what we have is the children of Israel. They're God's people. They've been in the nation of Egypt as slaves for over 430 years. They didn't get there because they were conquered by the Egyptians, so to speak. There was a man named uh, Joseph who uh, made his way to the Egyptian palace through a course of some pretty amazing events, who was a Hebrew man. He became the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And in time of great famine, he moved his family, who was the Israelite people then at that time, to Egypt. The Pharaoh at the time, they had a lot of favor. He gave them a certain parcel of land, and they began to increase, and they began to have favor, and God really began to bless them. Well, a new guy came into power, got jealous, got afraid, and then made the Hebrew people as, uh, made them slaves, so they couldn't prosper. But here's the thing, even under slavery, God began to prosper them even more, and they grew, and they grew, and they grew. And then they began to cry out to God and ask God, please deliver us from this life of slavery, this life of of uh, basically servitude, working really hard for nothing. They were just a huge labor force. And so God chooses this man named Moses, who's a Hebrew man, through uh, another course of amazing events, grows up in the Egyptian palace. And the king of the Pharaoh at the time is his half-brother. But as Moses starts to understand uh, his background and how he grew up, he uh, sees an Egyptian soldier beating a Hebrew slave, and he gets angry and actually kills that Egyptian soldier, and then runs off in the desert because he's afraid. And it's while he's in the desert that God begins to reveal himself to Moses and says, I've chosen you to lead my people out of the nation of Egypt. I've heard their cry. And what's amazing about that is is that God told a man named Abraham 500 plus years before that his people would be in slavery for a certain amount of time, but that he would deliver them. And this is God making good on his promise. So that brings us to where we're at God's having this conversation with Moses, and he's going to tell him four things that he's going to do for the nation of Israel. I want us to read that together. So Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. It says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you that, God, everything that you say is true. 
Your word is true, despite what we think, despite what we feel, or despite what we see in front of us. Your word is true. It always prospers for that which it was intended, and it never returns void. So we just ask you this morning to open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to receive from you, and that we can walk out of here different than when we came in. Everybody said, amen. How many of you have, uh, throughout the course of your life, ever heard these two words, I promise? Hey, I promise, I promise you that I'll be there tomorrow, or I'll be there next week, or I, Mom, Dad, I promise that I'm cleaning my room, or you know, I promise that I'll, I'll, I'll bring that thing that you've been asking me for for the last five weeks. I promise I'll bring it to you. Um, we were on a, a cruise, and we took Carson to what uh, they call Camp Carnival uh, so that we could go have a good time, and he could have a good time, and basically we just needed a break from Carson. Anyway, so he's there, and they give you this phone that they can call you, and if they have any trouble. And uh, so we've been having just you know good time, listening to people play music, and just relaxing. Anyway, we get a phone call, and uh, I looked down the phone, and I saw it was a missed call. So I called him, and they, I said, "Is everything okay?" They said, "Yeah." Um, they said Carson, um, him, and a few other boys were getting kind of rowdy. They were running around, they were pushing each other, and you know they were being boys. And I was like, "Oh, okay, that's no big deal." And then um, I was talking with Lauren, and I said, "We should probably go get him." So go up to get Carson, and uh, if you've ever been on a cruise, you know that there is some, there's a represent, representative from every country on the face of the earth working uh, on a cruise ship. And the lady that happened to be overseeing the kids area was Russian lady. And I go to pick up Carson, and, and she tells me this. She says, um, I'll, I'll do my best Russian accent. She says, uh, she says uh, you might want to talk to Carson. He, uh, he promised he would be a good listener, but uh, he, he, he get carried away. So you might want to talk to him. Yeah. And the, uh, the words that stuck out to me was that he promised to be a good listener. Carson's three and a half, and I don't really know if he knows what a promise is. But how many of you in here this morning would say that people who you care about have promised things to you, and they've never delivered? And because they've never delivered on their promise, the word promise doesn't mean what it really means. You hear people say, I promise, and you're like, yeah, right. It's a Maybe. It's, uh, I'm not going to put any money on the fact that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. And you know, God has made promises throughout his word. And God is never anybody, God is not a person that, uh, that promises to do something and then gets carried away and doesn't do it. In fact, since the moment that Adam and Eve made the worst decision in humanity to do what they did in the garden, God got carried away with making good on his promise. God became carried away with a plan set in motion to deliver humanity from the mistake that was made in the garden. In fact, I want to share two verses with you about God regarding promises. The first one is Psalms 138, verse 2. And it says this. It says, I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. For your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. Numbers twenty three nineteen. for some of you this is going to be really familiar. It says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? When God makes a promise, and we have the luxury of looking at his word and knowing his promise, if God makes a promise, he will bring it to pass. His promises are backed by the honor of his name, and he's never made a promise that he hasn't kept. If God says, I promise, he's not going to be like Carson and get carried away and not do it. He will fulfill it. So I want to talk just for the next couple minutes about God's promises. What are we to do with them? And then I want to go into what the four cups are and give you a brief overview this morning of what the next 
four weeks after this week of our sermon series is going to be about. So God's promises, what do we do with them? Well, number one, here's what we need to do. We need to know God's promises. We need to know that they exist. If you don't know that something exists, you can't do anything with it, right? We have to know what they are. How do we know what they are? God's word. He's revealed it to us. We need to know his promises. Number two, we need to understand them. It's one thing to know something. It's another to understand it. How many of you got a smartphone? You knew that they existed, and then they put it in your hand, and you didn't understand how to use it. So knowing it, knowing that it existed, and understanding how to use it were two different things. So what you did is you called your grandson or your, you know, your son, and then you asked him to help you. I'm tech support for my dad and mom for their, for their iPhones. But have to understand God's promises so you can apply them to your life. And once you know them, and once you understand them, Number three, then we have to pursue them. Pursue them for our life because we know they exist. We understand that they're true. We understand what they mean for us. And then we pursue them so they'll become a reality in our life. And God's promises becoming a reality in our life aren't predicated on what we do. It's predicated on what God has done in Jesus and us using the faith that he's given to believe in Jesus for them to become a reality in our life. So I know them. I understand them, and I pursue them. So what are God's promises? Well, there are a lot of God's promises, a lot of promises that God has made throughout Scripture. I want to talk about what I consider to be the four core promises that God has for every single individual. And here's where I want to stop, and I want to talk about four cups. There is a celebration that the Jewish people celebrate to this day, and they've done it for thousands of years. Anybody ever heard of the Passover celebration? The Passover celebration is a a feast that they have in which the Israelite people, or the Jewish people, celebrate when God delivered them from the nation of Egypt as being slaves, what we read about. They, at this celebration, they have what they call a Seder. A Seder just means order. They have an order in which they do things. In this Passover celebration, they drink four cups of wine. I don't want you to get hung up on the word of wine. They drink four cups, all right? Four cups is what they celebrate. And four specific things that God did for them. And they walk through this every year of God delivering them out of slavery into becoming a nation all of their own and bringing them to himself as his people. These four cups represent four promises. Where do these four promises come from? They come from this passage of Scripture. There are four I will statements that we read. I want us to look at again. And here's the thing. These four I will statements, when it says I will do this, God says that four times. It is in the Hebrew in what's called the perfect tense. If you haven't been here by now and heard me speak, I'm a grammar nerd. I, I speak Spanish and I just love grammar because... There's so many things that we can learn. It's in the perfect tense. What does that mean? Anytime we hear something in the perfect tense, it's completed. It's done. There's no question about it. It is a statement of finality. Boom. It's perfect. It's done. It not may be done. It not might be done. This is in the perfect tense. And when we read it, it uses the word will. And the word will in our language, we think, well, that's future. That's what's going to be done. Here's the thing about the Hebrew language. Get this. Hebrew language does not have a future tense. It doesn't have a future tense, the Hebrew that we read in the Bible. So when it's translated, the only way for us to understand it in English is to use a future type of language so that we wouldn't be incredibly confused. 
And in my research, I was just think, trying to look for a way to best describe this, and I came across a commentary, and this is what it said about the perfect tense in the Hebrew language. It says, sometimes in Hebrew, future events are conceived so vividly and so realistically that they are regarded as having virtually taken place and described by the perfect tense. So when God was telling Moses, this is what I'm going to do for you, for God, it was so vivid, it was so realistic, it was conceived in him that it was so just so real as if it already had happened because to God, there was no question in his mind of what was going to happen. Because God is the most powerful being on the planet. And God's desire for his people was to do this. So for God, it was already done. And Moses, having heard that and speaking that, understood this is what's going to happen. And so with that understanding, I want us to take a look at these four I will statements. The four I will statements correspond to the four cups that the Jewish people to this day still celebrate. And the first one is this. It says in that passage of scripture, I will bring you out. He says, I will bring you out. He says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. He is going to rescue them from being slaves. He's going to deliver them. So this is the first promise that God made to his Hebrew people. And these promises that God made to them still exist to us today because here's the reality of this passage. The gospel message that we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then explained to the rest of the New Testament, is tucked right into here in the second book of the Bible because it was always God's plan. Jesus, the Bible says, was a land that was slain before the foundation of the world. The plan for Jesus to do what he did was not a reaction that God had to what Adam and Eve did. It was God's plan. God is not reactionary. God is proactive at all times. He always has a plan. And so... This first cup is what's called the cup of sanctification. And it, literally that word just means to be set apart. What we call that is God promises us salvation. God promised every person, if they would believe in Jesus Christ, that he would save them from sin. Egypt is a representation of sin for us today. They were under slavery. They were bound to Egypt. There was nothing that the Israelite people could do on their own to set themselves free. They couldn't do it. They were slaves. They didn't have a choice. It was thrust upon them. Every one of us were born into this world. We were born into sin. We did not have a choice. None of you chose to become sinners. You were born that way. That's why you can't just one day say, well, I did this amount of good, therefore it negates my sinnerhood. You don't, because sinning doesn't make you a sinner. You sin because you already are. Right? You did not have a choice, just like these people. They did not have a choice. They were already slaves. So the first promise to them was, I'm going to come in and I'm going to do for you what you cannot do for yourselves, and I'm going to deliver you out of Egypt. You will no longer be a slave. The first promise that God has to all of humanity is this. I will save you from sin through the person of Jesus Christ. You cannot deliver yourselves. You need someone greater than you. So number one promise God promises us salvation. We're going to spend next week and talk about what that cup looks like. So the first one, you think four cups. First cup is the cup of salvation or the cup of sanctification. Number two, the, number, the second I will statement says this. He says, I will free you. He says, I will free you from being slaves to them. I will free you. So I will take you out of Egypt. I'll set you free physically. And I will also free you from your life of being a slave. 
This is what they call the cup of deliverance. The cup of deliverance. I will deliver you. Deliverance is an interesting word today in the body of Christ because some people have made it incredibly weird. Some people use the word, just be honest, they made it really weird that the only time someone never needs deliverance is if they've got a demon or it involves some interesting things that we've seen. But every one of us is in need of some type of deliverance. And here's why. See, God took the people out of Egypt physically. He removed them, set them free. And then for a lot of years, God spent this part, taking the Egypt out of them. For 430 years, they were slaves. That's all they ever knew. That was their mindset. That's what they believed about themselves. They had never known anything different. How many of you know that God can change our physical location? He could take us from, being, from Saint, living in St. Louis and being a Cardinal fan and move us to Chicago. But the one thing God isn't going to do is make us a Cubs fan, right? He can take us, <laughs> he can take us out of St. Louis, but that doesn't mean it takes the St. Louis out of us. You know what I mean? And in the same way that God delivers us from sin and makes us a, be- a believer, makes us righteous before him, that's why he says in the word that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. There is a residue of sin still left in us. Not in a way that makes us unrighteous before God, not in a way that makes God angry at us, but it's a lifetime lived doing things that we weren't supposed to do, creating mindsets, creating patterns, literally creating pat- neural pathways in our brain that God wants to set us free completely. He wants, to de- us, he wants to deliver us from the residue of sin. God does an amazing work in salvation. He takes your spirit and he makes it 100% clean. You are set free from sin. Sin no longer has dominion over you, for you're not under law but under grace. That's what the Bible says. But... How many of you in here this morning would say, you know what, I still battle thoughts. I still battle some bad habits, and I don't know why. Paul told us this. He said, you know, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. He was struggling. We still struggle. So that's a cup of deliverance. And it can be, it could be really crazy, like, you know, you had to think of the worst thing possible in the world, like, you know, a serial killer. We think that person needs deliverance. And then we come all the way over to the other end. It's like, you know, I tell, I lie every once in a while or I don't speak, treat my, my wife or my husband right. That person needs deliverance. I'm just am who I am. No, we all need help. And from one extreme to the other and everything in the middle, God wants to deliver us from that. Not because he's angry, not because he's mad, but because he wants us to live a fruitful and productive life. And he wants us to experience true fulfillment in him. So the third one. One of the things, just so you know, I prayed for this morning with the staff. I said, please help me to do an overview and not preach every, every, all five messages in one week. Because I'm really excited. The third one is this. The third I will statement. He says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And they call this cup in the Jewish tradition the cup of redemption. Now, some of you may be thinking, what's the difference between the cup of redemption and the cup of salvation? Aren't I redeemed when I'm saved? Yes, you are. But here's the thing I want you to think of. God just didn't save us from sin. He saved us for a purpose as well. We're not just saved from something. We're also saved for something. Every single one of us in this room has something in our life that God put in us, a talent, a gift, a resource, that he wants to use for his glory, that he wants to use to prosper his kingdom, that he wants to use to even to prosper you. There is a redemptive purpose for your life. It's not just, I'm saved from sin, now I just struggle the rest of my life. 
That's not the point. We're always going to have some sort of struggle, always. But God didn't just save us to struggle. He said, the Bible says we are more than conquerors, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. So there is a redemptive purpose for your life, that the nation of Israel, God took them out of Egypt, and he never just took them out of Egypt to plop them in the desert and say, go for it. No, he led them all the way through the promised land. They were, there, was a, there was being slaves. What was the other destination? To the promised land where they could prosper. So God has a redemptive purpose for your life. This come, brings us to the last cup, and if the band could return. This last cup that they have, they call, uh, let me read the statement here. It says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. They call this the cup of praise. For them, this was the ultimate. God restoring all these people who for 430 years had, who had no identity. In fact, their only identity was slavery. They were subject to the Pharaoh of Egypt. He says, I'll take you and I'll make you my own people. And they call this the cup of praise. And what we want to call this is this, is that God promises me fulfillment. God promises me fulfillment. They went from being completely unfulfilled to being fulfilled, not just with a bunch of of stuff, not with things, not with a great job, but truly fulfilled in their identity as God being their father, as God being their king. And you see, we want every single person in this church, when they come through the doors, we want to help them move from where they are to where God wants them to be. For a long time in church, unfortunately, we've thought what we need to do is we just need to get people saved, and we do. We do. In my opinion, and what I believe about the Word of God, is that salvation is the greatest miracle of all. There is nothing greater than salvation. Nothing. Not the daily decisions that you make, not your daily disciplines. It all begins in salvation. God could have never done the three remaining cups without delivering them from Egypt. He couldn't. The greatest act of judgment and and, uh, and deliverance that God did for the people was to take them out of the nation of Israel out of the nation of Egypt excuse me and deliver them from that I don't want to be a church that says hey let's just save people and send them somewhere else to learn how to live their life I believe that God has called us to do this to see people saved delivered redeemed and fulfilled holistic it's a holistic ministry and it comes straight from God's word God didn't just want to take his people out of Egypt He wanted to take the Egypt out of them. Then he wanted to show them, this is the reason that you were created. This is the purpose for which you're on earth. And once you begin to flow in that and use that, you'll experience true fulfillment in a relationship with me. So every person that walks through our doors will help you move from where you are to where God wants you to be. We want to see you saved, delivered, redeemed, and fulfilled. And you say, what if I already walked through the door and I believe in Jesus? Hey, that's awesome. There's, There's more to go. You still struggling? Do you really, you really know why God puts you on this earth? Are you really experiencing fulfillment? No? All right. There's a process. Guess what? I'm on the path. I'm not, I have not arrived. I don't know of anybody in this church that has arrived. And if you have, you can let me know because we will, we will put you on a video testimony. Not, none of us have arrived. In fact, there are things in our lives that God deals with one by one. I believe that this deliverance is really a process of what we call sanctification, you know? It's a process of God dealing with one thing. Hey, you're going to be more successful now. Now here, here's this little piece. I'm just going to touch it real softly. 
If you deal with that, you're going to be more successful. You're going to love me more. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just dump everything on us at one time and say, fix it? But I think, unfortunately, a lot of us in here today feel that's what God does. He just dumps it on you and says, fix it. Be holy as I'm holy. And then you get, you, get, you get so overwhelmed and burdened with trying to be so good and so perfect that you don't know what to do anymore. And then that's why I think we just come to church and we sit in the pew and we don't, we don't do anything else because we feel so heavy. We feel so burdened like we can't even stand up or I, I, I can't help somebody because I'm, I'm dealing with all this stuff. And I'm just here this morning to tell you, and maybe this is old hat and you already know this, but this is just a great reminder. It's a process. God isn't asking you to be perfect to help people. God already made you 100% righteous in the person of Jesus Christ if you believe him. And because he set you free, he's taken you out of sin. Now he's free to deal with you in a way that as a father. And to say, hey, this is in your life. It's not good. I'm going to help you fix it. See, that's what God does. He doesn't just reveal something to you and then say, fix it. He says, I'll I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So here it is, and I'm going to help you through it. I'm going to walk with you. God gets down in the dirt. He gets down in the mess. He gets his hands dirty. We saw that with Jesus. Jesus was constantly wherever the mess was. And then he, he shows us why we're put on this earth. Last week, missionary that was here, Bill, he made a statement that I thought just um, illustrated what we're talking about in a perfect way. And some of us may never have this experience, but he said that when we ask him, how did you choose Guatemala? And more specifically, how did you choose Hoyava? He said, missionary took me up on a hill overlooking the mountain valley and said, Bill, as far as the eye can see, there are people who don't know who Jesus is, who've never heard the gospel, and it's yours for the taking if you want it. And he said, in that moment, God spoke to my heart and said, Bill, this is the reason that you were born, to love these people. I'm telling you, I've not had that moment. I wish that I had a moment like that where I heard God say those words. For me, it's been more of a process. It is a process, day by day, step by step. Hey, go here, go here, do this. And as I follow that leading, I'm becoming more and more attuned to why I was put on this earth. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. What if I did? I think it would be pretty telling. How many of you would want to know why I'm on this earth? I think it's a big question that everyone has. Saved and unsaved. Why am I here? Am I just a product of biology or am I here for a reason? And you are. And the greatest cup that people aren't experiencing is the cup of fulfillment being fulfilled in the relationship with God. It doesn't mean being rich. It doesn't mean having everything that you want. It doesn't mean that life never throws you a curveball. It's you're fulfilled in your relationship with God as your father, and you're doing what he called you to do. On, I'll end with this. On the cruise this week, this past week, I was reading in, in a book, and a passage of Scripture really jumped out to me. It was Ephesians 4, verse 11. It says, you know, it's fivefold ministry, pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists, apostles. And it talks about what they're supposed to do. And it says that their job is to equip the people, people to do the work of the ministry. Guess what? We're in this together, me and you. We're all in this together. We're all in this together to do the work that God has called us to do. It's not a pastor thing. It's not an evangelist thing. It's not a, it's not a, 
structure of a church thing. We are the church, the people. Jesus didn't come for a building. He didn't come for a program, right? He didn't come for a service. He came for people. And that's what we're about, people. Help them move from where they are to where God wants them to be and to see every person in our city, our country, and our world saved, delivered, redeemed, and fulfilled. And going forward, starting next week, we're going to talk about each one of those specifically and how we participate in those cups individually and corporately as a church. Could you bow your head? Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person that's here this morning. God, I thank you that the message of the gospel is truly the most powerful, relevant, transcendent message on the face of the earth. And I just want to say to you this morning, God, as a church, we're committed to fulfilling the Great Commission uh, it's to the best of our ability because we recognize this one fact. God, this is your church. This is your church. Jesus is the head of it, and we're here to be stewards of it. And I thank you that we're a unified front, knowing of our purpose and our calling, and that we are going to see you do incredible things. If you're here this morning, and you would say, you know what? I've never even experienced that first cup of, of salvation, of, of seeing Jesus save me from all of my sins. Here's the thing. Here's the gospel real quick. You know you have things in your life that are not the way they should be. You know that you, you do things that are not right. And there's no way that you can compensate for that. There's no amount of money you could pay. There's no amount of good acts that you could do. But the message of the gospel is this, is that God sent Jesus to make full payment for every sin that you have committed and every sin that you will commit. And he forgives you 100%, not on the basis of what you do, but on the basis of what Jesus has done. And if you believe that Jesus was not just a historical figure, but that he was the Son of God, and that he was crucified, he was buried, and three days later, he was raised from the grave. He's alive and active today and desires a relationship with you. If that's you this morning, I just want you to boldly throw up your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I just want to pray with you. If anybody's in here this morning and say, you know what, I want to make a decision today, to see my life be completely set free. If that's you, raise your hand. Okay, second, if you're here in this morning, thank you so much. If you're here this morning, the second thing I want to pray for, and you say, you know what? I'm saved already. I've got a relationship with God. But I'm not experiencing really the other three cups that God has for my life. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but I just want to see a show of hands because I want to pray for you this morning. If anybody in here this morning say, you know what? I just need a little bit more in my relationship with God. I've got some things that I'm struggling with. I need some freedom from. Thank you. Thank you. I pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, first and foremost, for those individuals who raise their hand to have a relationship with you, to experience that first cup of being set free from sin, God, I thank you right now that you are the Lord of their life. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're releasing faith into their heart to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he made full payment for sin. God, and we thank you that as, as that faith is erupting in their hearts right now, God, that their lives are being the changed in Holy Spirit. They're seeing Jesus, and they'll never, ever, ever be the same. And God, secondly, for everyone that raised their hand that said they need more of you, they're struggling with stuff, they know that there's more in their relationship with you than they ever thought possible, God, I thank you right now that you are ministering to their hearts. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're speaking to them, that you're showing them how much, God, how much you love them. And God, you love them enough not to leave them where they are, but to take them where you want them to be. I thank you right now that, God, they would just freely give themselves to you and allow you to do a work in them that they cannot do for themselves. And we pray all these things in the awesome name of Jesus Christ. 